What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today is Adam Pollack, who, for those of you longtime listeners, remember from episode two of The Brendan Burns Show, Adam Pollock is a great friend of mine from Cornell. He transferred there from Ithaca College, grew up in Westchester, New York. And Adam, it is great to have you back on the show. You forgot to say professional athlete. From your intro, I'm a professional athlete. Oh, That's- yeah. Tell me, what what's, what is uh, this headset that you're wearing for video games? Are you uh, professionally competitive in that? Yeah, I'm really dexterous with my thumbs. Uh, I, can, I can really... Uh, you know, could really shoot a guy or two in Call of Duty. Oh man, can I have your autograph? Absolutely. I'm a, I'm left-handed. I have a beautiful, beautiful penmanship. It's all yours. I find that left-handed people are often brilliant. I don't know the statistics on that, but my mom is left-handed. Kyle, my uh, law school roommate, genius, left-handed. You're obviously very smart. Have you ever seen any studies about that? Yeah, I've actually. I think a good majority of the U.S. presidents have been left-handed. Um, there's, uh, yeah, a lot of famous people are left-handed, but I'm not famous. I'm, I'm very run-of-the-mill, ordinary. <laughs> so, Adam, um, tell tell the listeners what you do. Uh, Brendan and I go way back. We've known each other since, jeez. 2007 the spring of 2007 is when we first met i think so that's what 14 years ago now i can't believe that that's that's incredible um yeah so so brendan and i went to uh cornell university uh together up in heard of it? we ever i'm just heard of it. watching uh, <laughs> the office with andy bernard and he's just like he gives cornell such a bad rap i know yeah no it, it's well deserved though no. it's funny yeah it's <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, we were we were frat brothers. Yeah, remember those times? Oh yeah, I I just remember you had just transferred and you were rooming with uh, Kevin Mendel. Uh, no, I went up to you. I said, "Hey man, do you want to join a fraternity?" Because we are the same age, but you had transferred in as a sophomore, right? And you just looked at me and you were like, "Yeah, sure, I'm down." <laughs> yeah, I was down for whatever. Yeah, that's what I liked about you. You were like. You were very open-minded to having life experiences and being successful and having fun. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a big goal for me. I mean, you know, I I, I could just remember I I was never you know destined to really go to a school like that. I never really had that in my uh, in my mind up until you know when I got to Ithaca and, you know, felt really fell in love with, with the place across the hill. Right. I mean, I was never a great student in high school. I cared more about, you know, sports and girls and, you know, 
anything but my schoolwork. Um, and, you know, it, it translated into, into my grades. And when I ended up at, at Ithaca College, you know, I knew I was, uh, I knew I could achieve more, really. I, I knew I was, I could do something different and do something awesome. So I, you know, really applied myself and just made sure that, you know, that was the number one goal always. And I, you know, I, I was able to achieve it. And I, and that's how I met you. Nice, man. I'm, it was it was really cool to see the transfer and, and what happened right in front of my eyes. And obviously, we became close. Um, you went off to work at the uh, investment banks, UBS, and and Merrill. Tell tell me about like what you remember of our. I think it was episode two, like I said, of of the show. Then I was all jacked up on personal growth. Like I had just seen I'm Not Your Guru, which is the Tony Robbins Netflix. <laughs> and I still love the guy and have tremendous respect for him and hope to have him on the show in the next year or two. But I was like all in on Tony, totally obsessed with the guy, went to his live event. And then I think I just said to you, hey, you know, can you ask me these questions? about what it was like like and we did it in that shit apartment that i used to live in <laughs> yeah we i got some stories about that oh my god why don't you tell them about that you remember that place um so brendan lived on 33rd street in murray hill um new york city which, new york city which uh is kind of known as like a neighborhood for like younger crowds so like after college a lot of the you know, people just getting jobs for the first time and living in the city, they, they moved to Murray Hill. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of a very college-y, kind of fratty atmosphere. Yeah. Anyway, Mr. Burns over here decides to uh, move into the world's smallest studio apartment uh, <laughs> with, with his dog, Karma, who's adorable. Um, and... I don't know when, when I tell you this building was disgusting, like I, I can't, I can't even stress to you enough. Like my dog always walker came <laughs> over, like when your dog walker is insulting you, <laughs> your, your apartment is so shitty. Like that guy came over and he looked at me and he goes, I don't think I can keep walking karma. Yeah. And I said, why not? He goes, your lobby smells reeks of fermented fish. And there's a uh, there's the mail like there's a stack for the mail that didn't get into the in the boxes for certain people, and there was one with a stamp on like a bunch of letters saying deceased, and and like someone might have just died and they hadn't taken the body out. Like, that's how bad. And that's just that was just one thing. That was the smell. There was the cockroaches, the bed bug infestations. Oh, you name it. My building had it. As it was, it stunk in there, man. Like it absolutely reeked. Going into that elevator was like going to your like death. It was so, it was so gross. But you know, what was the craziest thing about that apartment? What? When I would go travel internationally, I would get 200 bucks a night for that thing on Airbnb. I mean, that's like a hotel. It's a four-star hotel rate. Because, because of the location. Because oh, the location's they, amazing. Yeah, it was actually a great location. It was two blocks from Empire State Building, uh, two avenues, 10 blocks from Grand Central, uh, Midtown, Manhattan. But it's just funny. Uh, that place was such a dump. The, the one thing I'll say in its defense, I was working in the hedge fund, and so I was making decent money. And I said, I want to start my own passion business. And so 
I moved from 24th Street and 6th Avenue to 33rd Street. So I moved nine blocks and my rent went from 3,400 to 17,800. That's what I never understood because your apartment in Chelsea was really nice. I mean, it was small, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, a palace or anything, but you had a view of Sixth Avenue. It was really nice, man. Oh, the, but the, the building was fresh. It was new. Not like that, like decrepit dump you moved to. <laughs> but my point is I did that intentionally. I mean, obviously we can make fun of it and it's hilarious to think back. I said, I want to start this business and I made that financial sacrifice. Yeah, but I'll I mean, take I'll take all the shit you want to give me on the because <laughs> that place was disgusting. <laughs> you kept defending it too. You're like, oh, it's not so bad, you know. I was just like, well, Brendan, I'm standing in your kitchen, your bedroom, your dining room, and your bathroom all at the same time. Like, <laughs> like... <laughs> no, the the best was the day I moved in. Actually, no, it was the day I got the keys. I pick them up. I go into the apartment and I kind of uh, exhale of relief. Like it's not so bad in here. I go into the bathroom. I look into the tub and there is a huge cockroach just oh. in the middle of the tub. Like there's no water in the tub, obviously, but it's as if like he's just taking a bath in my tub. Oh my God. And he just like looks at me. He's like, hey, welcome, Brendan. I'm your roommate. <laughs> What were your ratings on Airbnb? Like one star? Yeah, very mixed. <laughs> very. And I just made a push. Like in the beginning, I didn't care. I just was like, here are my keys. Here's the apartment. And I got mostly like four stars, three, four out of five. It was fine. And then I got slammed on a really bad review. Like, you know, smelled, you didn't have clean sheets. All And it was all fair. It was all true. And so <laughs> the next week I was dating this girl at the time. The girl I dated for like all of 2019. And she was really nice and good with these things. And I said, hey, can you come over and help me get this thing ready? And she came over and we mopped and we swept and we changed the sheets and we left out towels. And we put, I put out a bottle of wine. I put out a, a note. I printed it with their names on it. Got back one star review. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing's uh, saving that building. Brendan, it was really nice that you did those <laughs> things, but it's the apartment stunk. It took three days for that smell to become normal. And this is the best we could do. <laughs> Oh my God. I'm glad that part of your life is over. Now I got to come out to Cali and, and see what you're working with now. Yeah, man. Well, you know, one of the things that I think the main thing I want to talk about today is imposter syndrome. And um, as some people have said to me, deserving complex, but you know, one other thing that I think is really important and valuable is buying a place as soon as you can mm -hmm. to build equity yeah. I mean, you, you see that a lot. I mean, you probably don't see that as much now with COVID, but uh, definitely, you know, a couple of years ago, you have people, you know, spending their entire paycheck pretty much on their apartment in the city. And while yeah. that's fun and stuff, if you want to throw away a couple of years to like, you know, living a baller lifestyle, having a sick apartment in the city and going out, you're, you're not saving a penny, right? So it's, uh, if you want to do that, that's, that's fine. I mean, you're, if you're young enough that you can recover from that, I mean, I say, go ahead and do it. I mean, that's what you want to do, but it's definitely not a, a wise decision for the future. Well, the, the word you used recover is, is like, that's the word. Like I've had to recover from making those financial mistakes and then I'm in a fine position now. But 
it's I'm I'm playing catch up. Like mm-hmm. had I bought a place, you know, in 2014 or 2015, it could have doubled in value. It probably would have been up 20, 30 percent. So anyway, let's talk about some some juicy stuff for today. We got we're getting actually, spicy, getting spicy up in here, man. Get your curries, get your food. But you actually said to me because um, you've been a great resource for episode topics and you gave me the one on uh, like, I think it was like social media use or anxiety or not being where you want to be or where you thought you'd be in life. And so I did a good one on that. And another episode topic that you said, Hey, Brendan, you should do this was on imposter syndrome. So yeah. why did you, why did you suggest that to me? I mean, I've dealt with that. I coach people on that, but I'm just curious, like what, why do you think that's topical right now? I honestly think imposter syndrome is, is huge. And I think it's, I think it affects a huge amount of people, um, in our age group, uh, and younger as well. Um, I think it's, it's extremely relevant in today's marketplace and something that people didn't really know existed. I think they feel it internally. They understand all the concepts and that, Hey, you know, this, this really affects me, but they didn't have a name for it. They didn't have a concept or a a structure for it. Um, And I think recently within the past couple of years, it's been more topical and more like top of mind. There's been articles about it. um, And people are starting to realize like, Hey, like that's what I've been feeling. That's what I've been, you know, I've, I've been wanting to, to see if others felt this way, but, you know, I can't really talk about it at work. I can't really talk about it with my friends. You know, maybe they'll judge me. Maybe they'll, you know, think I'm doing something wrong when I should be, you know, doing this. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that I've struggled with as well. I think a lot of people have struggled with. Um, so it's definitely something that, that, you know, should be discussed, you know, mainstream. I have a definition here that I just pulled up. It says imposter syndrome is doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It disproportionately affects high achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments. Many question whether they're deserving of accolades. Yeah. No, it's a heavy thing, man. Like it's, (laughs) it's, it's a really, really heavy topic and something that like, I don't know. I I felt that for a long time. And it's, it's only been recently until I've kind of gotten over it and been like, Hey, like you're worthy of all the accomplishments you've had. You've done the work that you need to do to get to where you are today. Like nobody handed this to you. You didn't get there out of dumb luck. You did it because you deserved it. And that, that took a long time to get there. I'm 33 years old and I'm just coming around to that. Uh, and I think it takes a lot of people even longer than that to get to that realization too. So, I mean, definitely, definitely a topic that, that people should, you know, freely discuss and not like internalize. Yeah. And that's a good point too. I feel like people just kind of internalize a lot nowadays and I see across the board, every statistic, marriages percentages down, happiness levels are going down. I saw a study that said two of the only three leading causes of death that are going up are suicide, depression, like triggered by depression and uh, drug overdoses. Also same thing. So, you know, whether you want to pin it on social media, did you see uh, the social dilemma? Is that the Facebook movie? Yeah. No, it's social network. 
No, no. Uh, yeah. Social Network is the Facebook movie. Social Dilemma is a documentary about uh, this kid and his sister and how social media totally messes him up. And No, uh, I haven't seen that. It's Oh, man, it's crazy. Netflix or? Uh, I don't even know what I watched it on. It's, yeah, one of the services. Okay, but, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's just like, it shows you how the way we interact with other people is changing. And the more negative news you see, or the more like, like I, I think there was a study that said Facebook note can control your level of happiness, but they choose to show you the more negative stuff because that will make you actually more engaged in their platform. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it's like you could be having a terrible day and then all of a sudden you get a a like from somebody that you admire or something on your Instagram picture and it just totally turns it around and you're having a great day just because of that one stupid thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nuts. I mean, you know, for us growing up, right, I think we're in kind of like a weird like Goldilocks kind of area, right, where we grew up when computers were just starting. So when I was in like, uh, when I was in uh, elementary school, they taught us how to use a computer on like Apple IIe's. Like they literally had a fleet of Apple IIe's. And that's how we learned how to type. We learned like, you know, basic stuff like that. And then, you know, we were there for all the advancements as, you know, things got going. I remember being in an eighth grade and like saving essays and stuff for English class on floppy disks. Um, So it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something that, you know, has really came on quickly. And it's it's scary to think how this day and age, like they don't even talk on phones anymore. They just type into that's that's the craziest thing. You know, I so my birthday was about a week ago. And the amount of just like text messages and LinkedIn DMs I got from a lot of strangers, by the way, which I'm very grateful for versus all these people who texted me, which again, I'm grateful for those birthday wishes. But one of my friends, one of my oldest friends called me up. He was super busy. His wife's pregnant. He already has a young child. He's got a crazy job and he lives in Italy. So this is like 10 hour time difference, California or nine, I think. And he said, Brendan, I just wanted to say happy birthday. I wanted you to hear my voice. And I think like in this crazy world, a phone call goes such a long way. I'm going to cry. And I also feel like a dick because I had no idea it was your birthday. Wow. <laughs> All right. That's it. Guys. Thanks for tuning in for another show over. Episode. Take it easy. Um, Adam, this is a pleasure. But yeah, <laughs> this guy uh, comes on my podcast. He says he knows me 14 years <laughs> with a PC gaming headphone on. Yeah, I don't look at Facebook like that. That's that. That's how people know it's your birthday. It's like no, Facebook the, and stuff. I don't look that's at that. The, yeah, that's the funny thing is I never know people's birthdays. Actually, yeah. what I did was I made a note on my phone um, in like the notes section. And hey, when's my birthday? Well, I was gonna say, tell me your birthday. I'm gonna put it in right here. <laughs> September fifteenth. Yeah. You know what? That's, that's one thing that's really interesting about you. Like you've always been a phone guy to this day. You've always been a phone guy. Like 
every time we've talked has always been on the phone. We don't text each other. We're very old school in that regard. Um, and I, I like that. Like you can, you can get so much more out of a phone call than you can out of like a 30 minute texting session, which is just stupid in my opinion. Like just call each other. Like I, I just don't get it. Like you know I really don't. People, you know how many couples fight because they're f- having a fight on text message? It's so because text message, like you can't see, yeah, you can't, you can't decipher sarcasm. You can't decipher like any of that stuff. Right. It's like context, all these different things. You can misconstrue a text to mean one thing when it's really like not that big of a deal or vice versa. Right. So pick up the phone, call each other. It'll be a better world. Well, my man, Matt Dobshoots, who is a good friend of mine. He's the host of Porn Free Radio in Chicago. Great dude, men's coach. Love what he's working on. We're good friends now. He says the opposite of compulsive behavior is connection with other people. Hmm. And I find that on days where I am hanging out in like-minded, I go to these meetup groups, personal development people, surf groups out here in California now. And I'm like, those are the best days of my week when I'm just, hanging out and and again, not just with people. You don't want to kind of escape into people and social situations, but really with good people where you can be connected and have fun. Think about when we were at Cornell, talk about bad housing, (laughs) (laughs) that fraternity house, which by the way, I think that was the only time I ever heard my grandpa curse. (laughs) He walked into that place and he said, what a piece of shit. Dude, do you remember? Do you remember that day when like it was like parents weekend or something? Yep. And my my dad's like, you know, he's he's pretty tough guy. Like he's he's got a very hard exterior shell. And um he took two steps into that like he took two steps into our house, yeah. turned around and was like, Good luck living here, son. Like that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Like he just got back in the car and he was like, I'm, I'm not going in there. I'm good. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Anyway, that house, as much as we can make fun of it for being such a dump, I knew that in between study breaks or if I was feeling like, I remember when I was feeling anxiety and I was all worried about this relationship I was in. And uh, remember Spira, Alex Spira Gardner? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, man. Such a good dude. He lives in LA actually, not that far from me now. And I just remember like having a really bad day, just popped into his room. He had his own, a single, which was like a big deal in the frat when you had your own room. And I remember just popping in there and just like kicking it with him. Like, Man, I'm worried about this. I got this going on. We just talked it out. Yeah. And like, I always think about in person is my favorite. Then the next week video or FaceTime, then a phone call. And then like worst case situation, grocery shopping. Oh, should I get this text message? Yeah. Oh man. And that's another thing, man, that you just, you kind of just brought up for me. It's like, there's so many people like, and this is another topic for like something we could talk about for a long time, but like, there's so many people that I wish I kept in touch with that I just never did, you know? And that's for you kids out there. Like, don't, don't make the same mistake. Like, you know, if, if you have friends in college, like, talk to these people man like just pick up the phone even if they don't text you you text them you know what i'm saying like don't lose these connections because i've lost so many connections with so many great friends in college that i really really deeply regret and um 
yeah, just just don't make the same mistake. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I got to give my friend Paul credit for this. He taught me to, he legitimately treats it like a, a job in some respects. Obviously, yeah. you get the fruits of all the connection, but he has an alarm that goes off every day at, at some like 10 o'clock or something. And it says, reach out to two people, like new yeah. people every day. So he takes out his phone and say, okay, I'm going to reach out to John. I'm going to call Adam. And he did that with me which I thought was really cool. Cause now we're really good friends and he was living in Brooklyn. I was in Manhattan and he would reach out to me and just kind of check in and be proactive. I think people are frustrated. Like everyone's a flake. I'm always the one to initiate it. And that may be true in the beginning, but if you continue to stay diligent, for example, if I call you once a week for the next month, you're going to start reaching out to me. Oh yeah. And you got a lot of people out there right now at home. And this was me in 2020 and 2019 and 2018, I'm sitting in my home, my phone's not ringing and I'm pissed off. And I'm like, no, I don't have any proactive friends. Everyone's a flake, which a lot of people do flake, but I would just make these excuses. And I would sit there alone and bored, looking at my phone. No one's fucking calling me. This sucks. Versus now I call you once a week for the next two months. Or if I call so, and again, not everyone is going to respond to that. Some people genuinely just had a kid or just aren't available in that way right now in their life. And that's also okay. But if you look at a couple of people and say, I'm just going to be consistent with these say five people over the next two months, you're going to now be create a friendship where they're going to be a lot more proactive back to you. And so that takes the victimhood out of it and then like build towards something that you want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, like, man, this, <clears throat> I don't want it to be like somber or anything, but like, yeah, I definitely, I def, that's one, that's one thing. If I had to look back and say, what's one of the top things that you regret in your life, it's been not keeping those connections going with really good friends that I've had in the past. Yeah. I think that would, that would probably be, if not number one, like very close to the top in my regrets in life. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. I actually, um, this is kind of a lark and uh, my COO, Anthony, who has been on a couple episodes of the show, kind of challenged me to do this and I, I'm really glad I did it. I was just telling a story about a good friend of mine from high school, really cool guy, I played football with him, uh, had all similar classes, hung out a lot. And he was one of my best friends in high school. And we just, again, lost touch. But it's funny, like you lose touch, but you're working in a building like six minutes away from each other. <laughs> yeah. Bump into someone in your lobby of oh, your yeah. that you grew up with. It's like, what? So long story short, Anthony, my COO, he said to me, reach out to this guy, go grab coffee with him and, and go thank him. Because I was actually really grateful to this guy because he was the captain of the football team at Locust Valley where I went to high school. And I was 130 pounds soaking wet, same height. <laughs> I was the skinniest shrimp you've ever seen in my life. And it grew up not sports family, like tennis lessons, you know, class. <laughs> SAT prep. Yeah, yeah, like mathletes <laughs> practice, all that stuff. And then I moved to Locust Valley in the start of 10th grade. And you know, it's a small school and I meet these guys. Oh yeah. Well, let's, we're, we're on the football team. Brendan, you should come out. I said, okay. Uh, <laughs> no idea what to expect. I'm way undersized. They said, no, no, no. Just if you make it through the summer camp, you know, you'll be on the team. You might not get to play, but you'll get to be on the team. 
So I show up, two of my best friends uh, that I was hanging out with like every day got into a bad car accident like the second day of that summer football camp. God. And one of the guys actually died. Oh. Yeah. Uh, wow. G- his name was James. And wow. Even to now, I get chills like right now thinking about the fact that I know I would have been sitting in the backseat of that car. I, it was a convertible. I probably would not have had my seatbelt on. Definitely wouldn't have had my seatbelt on. And they collided head on with the school bus. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to think about the fact that that guy, Jared, and also my friend, Rich, those are the two captains of the team and very, those are like my, some of my best friends in high school. Like I sat down with Jared. I said, hey, I reached out to him. I know it's been a long time. I'd love to get coffee. We got coffee. And I... I forget exactly how I put it, but on some level, I tried to communicate. I think I'm alive because of you in like a butterfly effect. Like I, you didn't take a bullet for me type thing, but you know, crazy coincidence. And yeah, I just wanted to thank you for that. And you know, it was like a cool moment and um, yeah. So it's, I guess my point is it's not too late with some of those people. It's been what, like 11 years now, you know, for some of these people, I just, I don't even know why. Like I just, I really, God, I don't know. I, I guess it was because of work, like work got going and things got, you know, kind of dark at some points. And I just, you know, didn't feel good about, you know, my situation. And I didn't want to really talk to people. I wanted that, you know, I wanted people to, I wanted to talk to people when I was balling out and doing great, you know, and I just didn't feel good. So I did, when I didn't feel good, I didn't want to reach out to people. Um, I, I remember you, that. I mean, I you can't do that. I remember being a little proactive and there was some space and I could tell stuff was going on with you. And I totally understood that. And I kind of let you come back to me as a friend. And I also was you from yep. 2014, 2015 to 2018, 2019. And I felt like a, you know, a, a bad friend and a bad guy. Cause like that was the time when all my friends got married and I didn't go to a lot of my friends' weddings because I was, I wouldn't say I was depressed. I, I intentionally induced a opening of the kimono and just ripping everything open and doing some really intense inner work to heal all that abuse and trauma I went through. And so when I was in those raw moments, I was like getting these save the dates for these bachelor parties in Hawaii. And I was like, dude, I can't get out of bed. I'm not going to Maui. Like, hey, at least you were invited. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, the point is like, yeah, I think it's important to kind of recognize when people in your life need that space and it's not to take it personally, like they're rejecting you. Like, I think it, it's definitely not just me. I think a lot of people in life regret that very thing. You know, they wish they still talk to certain people that were really important to them. Yeah. Um, but hey, you know, things things happen and you know, you gotta you gotta roll with the punches, right? I mean, what kind of strategies do you think you 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 could give people that are kind of in that same boat? Like how do they make the first move? How how do they how do they kind of get out of that mindset that say, hey, too much time's passed, they're gonna think I'm crazy or weird for reaching out to them like why would they want to talk to me after all this time maybe and and the worst the the worst one is it would be like hey 
this person's reaching out to me 10 years later, where the hell were they 10 years ago? Like, why didn't, why didn't they talk to me 10 years ago? Like what, what's, why are you telling, why are you talking to me now? I don't want to talk to you now. I wanted to talk to you 10 years ago. Right. So what, what kind of things can people do to kind of get over that in their minds? The most important thing by far is to start a TikTok account and go viral and then you can go <laughs> famous and then everyone talks. Yeah, or, or clubhouse rooms, host really big clubhouse rooms and invite them. I'm going to start an OnlyFans. Oh, <laughs> you asked a really good question. It's like, how do you kind of reconnect? And I think so much of it has to do with accepting what you did in the past and not beating yourself up for how you didn't show up in those friendships because you're already sort of presenting an attack or a fear of an attack that will be brought onto you by that person that they're most likely not going to bring onto you. Yeah. It's like, there's this guilt of like, I was a bad friend and this fear that they're going to attack you for that. But then there's also this fear that you won't be able to set good boundaries with them. But you know what's interesting now that I think about it? I think a lot of it is equal on both sides, right? Because I think the people that I have in my mind, and I think you probably know some of the people that I'm talking about, is that I would definitely want to reach out to them. And I definitely wanted to reach out to them 10 years ago. And they probably felt the exact same way. But it's just as time went by, yep. we're both feeling the same thing. And that's why there's no phone calls. There's no text. Like it, it's, it's perpetuating on both sides, right? It's not just me being the guy that's not reaching out to this person. I wasn't ignoring them, right? I may have ignored maybe one text at first and then that's it, you know, and that started a whole cascade when years go by. Yeah. And that's a good point. There are situations where a person might pull away and kind of reject bids to connect with yeah. a certain person. Yeah. But it sounds like what you're saying is more like it fizzled, which happens when we grow up. Mm -hmm. And you can right. reach out to these people. And, and, and the way you feel, they probably feel the same way to some extent. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. not like they've been trying to call you all these years and you just haven't picked up the phone. It's like nobody's reconnected that friendship. Exactly. So you got a lot less to yeah. worry about than... Think you do and it, uh, the mark twain quote i worried about many things in my life most of which never happened <laughs> yeah that's true i, that's I work on that a lot i mean it's funny because i used to be this like super hyper achiever uh you know with wall street and cornell and mm -hmm. everything and i if someone used to ask me like oh brendan do you have anxiety i would have laughed at them you crazy like think about me and cornell like oh did i have anxiety no no not at all but i actually did i just hit it that's crazy. And I you were like the chillest guy in college. I, know. I feel like you have more anxiety now than you had in college. <laughs> no, I'm just more connected to it. I don't yeah. stop. It. I don't stop. You see it because I'm open. Yeah. Yeah. That's and crazy. So, and so I, and I've done a lot of work to get even better and release and like go and do all these things. But it's just funny. Um, yeah. That's like another thing. I don't, why did I bring up anxiety? I don't remember. Where, where are we talking about imposter syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. Thanks. Hey. Uh, all right. Yeah. Let's say something about imposter syndrome for a minute here. 
Yeah. No, I just, <laughs> it's a tough thing. It's, it's really tough. And I think a lot more people than people lead on actually suffer from this and it's a real thing and it definitely stifles your growth in in the job world and also as like a person right because you don't feel adequate um and that leads to you know other parts of your life kind of breaking down even though you're kind of focusing on your professional life that really bleeds into your personal life as well when you don't feel good about where you are and you think you're going to be exposed at any moment about not knowing something that you should or um you know <laughs> i mean for me right like i was never good at math i was not a math whiz i you know wasn't in the highest math classes in uh in high school you know it, it just wasn't my thing and then when i got into finance as a profession i kind of felt like weird about it i was like i mean finance it technically is math and i'm horrible at math you know what what am i doing here like i can't compete well, with these what, people well what were you doing there because you obviously in one of the worst financial crises in history yeah. i wanted a job at a bank so bad i couldn't get one i'm better than you at math so what was yeah. it about you? Like, because you obviously worked in these firms for many years, you did a lot of great things. So what was it that they saw in you that enabled you to be successful there? You know, honestly, <clears throat> I think in those times, I think they, I don't know, it's hard to say. I mean, some of that imposter syndrome kicks in. Like I know the math that I need to know to do my job, but it's just because there's so many people out there that, you know, academically were way more advanced and better than I was that I thought I wasn't good enough. Right. And, you know, I guess, I guess to your point, there's a lot of other variables. I mean, you know, a lot of it comes down to like, Hey, we're going to be spending a lot of time with this person, you know, 10, 11 hours a day, maybe more. Like I kind of want to like them and I want to be around them if I'm going to hire them. So I just tried to be as like affable and as like, you know, um, friendly, I guess, in the interview as possible. You don't want, if I'm interviewing someone and they're like super, super rigid and, you know, it doesn't seem like they're going to be like a good fit for the team. Like fit, fit is huge. Yeah. You, didn't you go on like a road trip for recruiting? Yeah. Cornell. Oh, yeah. Cause you're a great personality and great oh, yeah. to be around. And then you like do a drive up. It was like a four hour drive and you just sat there in silence with some kid. <laughs> Oh my God. I actually, funny story on that drive up, I got two, uh, speeding speed. Tickets. Yeah. Two no. tickets no. within the span of a half hour of each other. No. The first one was a real yeah. speeding ticket. I was definitely speeding. Okay. All right. I was going like 80 in a 65. All right. Give That's me a break. Bad, though. I know. Give me a break. It was a downhill. Okay. Was it one of these like uh New York <laughs> state trooper types? Oh yeah, of course. Big Roscoe, hat. New York with yeah, the big ass hat. Yeah. Roscoe diner after oh, for ridiculous. uh bacon yeah. grits. Yeah, and the second one was bullshit. Like 30 minutes later, I get pulled over for not moving into the middle lane when there's an emergency vehicle in the uh, in the shoulder. And there was like cars flying all around me. Like it wasn't even safe to go into the middle lane. That's ridiculous. Like, Did you it was fight so that ridiculous? One? Oh, I fought. Oh yeah, I fought it. I fought it. Good. The speeding ticket, I I couldn't. I had to. I paid for right. it. No big right. deal. But the the other one, I fought and I won. Like forget about it. Anyway, yeah, I was just gonna say one of the things about you is your personality. 
and your fit, your cultural fit in an organization. And one of the things that I try to do, especially with this show, because funny, like there's that imposter syndrome for me with this show. And what really helps me is, and, and this is like from literature on how to treat imposter syndrome that I've read, is keeping, I call it a love chest. They call it, um, you know, keeping a file of people saying nice things about you. I just call it the love chest. And so I screenshot these things and I compile them. Like I had a friend of mine, he messaged me on Sunday uh, or yeah, it was Sunday, late Saturday night. And he said, Hey brother, finally listened to your McConaughey interview. Two impressions. Number one, I've heard a lot of podcast interviews with him. This was my favorite, like, cause he went on Rogan and Tim Ferriss and Jay yeah. Shetty. And he goes, uh, you asked some genuinely unique questions and it was interesting. And you know, he went on and on. He actually said hosting a podcast is one of your gifts, which I, I have that imposter syndrome about that. I'm like, oh, I ask good questions, but like, you know, I'm no Howard Stern or Joe Rogan. And, you know, they turn on Howard Stern and he's talking to one of the Kardashians and he's like, hey, well, how come one of your nipples, your nipples aren't hard? She's like rubbing her nipples. And don't get me wrong, I have, I've met Howard Stern a bunch of times. He's actually, but um, I respect both of them a ton. But at the end of the day, it's like, you can always look at someone who's got more downloads or a bigger stature and find reasons why you can convince yourself that they're better than you. Or you can look at your own stuff and be like, man, I actually pulled off a pretty good interview with an A-list celeb, man. Dude, Interstellar is like one Dude, of my favorite I haven't movies. Seen it. I haven't seen it. Shut up. It's on you've my- never, You've never seen Interstellar? I just got offline access to it on my computer right now because next week I'm going on vacation and I'm watching on the flight. Are you out of your mind, bro? Like, go watch that tonight. Like, hey, for the flight, man. I love, I love uh, moving on flight. Absolutely incredible. I also movie. had never seen True Detective season one. I don't, I don't watch that. Dude, go watch that tonight. It's <laughs> this guy's on here telling you what to watch in <laughs> True Detective season one. Hey, uh, Woody Harrelson called. He wants his headphones back. Nah. You didn't even hey. get that joke because he was in it. <laughs> nah. Um, Interstellar uh, was, uh, yeah, that's a thought-provoking movie for sure. But no, it was really, really cool that uh, that you got to interview him. And I think he did Rogan like a week later or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Joe Rogan, I'm coming after you, bro. I had Jesse Itzler on my show. I yeah. had Conahay. I know you talked to both of those guys. Um, and the funny thing about Rogan is like, I haven't heard of like 70 to 80% of his guests, which I think is yeah. a testament to how good his show is that he doesn't need to rely on like super famous people to be a great show. And obviously a lot of you, like you probably recognize 80% because you oh, know yeah. MMA and comedy better mm -hmm. than me, mm -hmm. but you know, I think it's just interesting, like authenticity. And that's the thing about Howard Stern too. Like I went back and watched private parts last weekend he made a transition where he stopped being like, Hey, this is DJ Howard Stern. And he got on the mic and he was like, dude, my wife, Allison hasn't had sex with me in two weeks. <laughs> Come on, please call in and talk to me about that. And people wanted to hear that. I personally have a little bit of a value differential from him. And I, when I watched the Kardashian thing, I was like, I, I'm not going to pull hot girls onto my show and have them rub their nipples. No. So it's, you know, and, and he actually admits this. 
he said, um, cause he did a really cool interview with uh, Stephen Colbert and Howard Stern, he does these long form like podcasts now and he goes deep and I love that stuff. But I was like, he even admitted when he was on the Colbert show, he's like, I don't think I would have gotten famous doing like serious long form interviews. Like I can get away with that now because I have a loyal audience. Because he's famous, yeah. It's famous, but like back then I had to be super entertaining. He goes, and he talks about like terrestrial radio versus um, podcasts and how on like terrestrial, like car radio, you know, when you're driving, like people are like super ADD. I'm going to flip to the next station if you don't hold my intrigue. And so he did all these things, hook people in and whatever. So anyway, let's put a bow on this imposter syndrome thing. I would encourage you and, and any of the listeners out there to compile authentic, genuine, and specific evidence that you get from your peers about whatever it is you think you are uh, being an imposter about. You know, my, my chest right here, it's, it's also a lot of it's just like for me personally, because it was like not so much imposter syndrome as it is. Like, you know, just like when I was struggling a few years ago with my feelings about myself and my own inner worth. And so I'd had a lot of people saying like nice, genuine things about me is in the love chest. But the other thing is there's a lot about my business and it's people like in coaching, like telling me wins they've had and just compiling that. Because a lot of times when you're not in like a good place of confidence, you're relying on that external dopamine hit of an Instagram like or a call from your girlfriend or, a you know, pat on the back to say I'm worthy. But you can also document these things and not need to go externally and constantly get all this stuff from people. I have all these things. Yeah, my this love just 27 pages long. This girl I met at an airport in New Mexico, a picture of her wearing my hoodie, talking about my show, like, you know. Got can I challenge you though? Can I challenge you for a second? Yeah, for sure. So I, I understand that viewpoint and, and those action steps, but I think with imposter syndrome, the people that you want to hear about and have validation from the most, and I'm thinking towards the workplace, is that people that you work with, right? Yeah, people sure. that are intimately familiar with, you know, what you're having this imposter syndrome about, right? Absolutely, yeah. So in those situations, those are the people that you don't want to talk to about this the most. Like you want to keep this under wraps. When I was working at the hedge fund, I had um, a hypercritical boss and, and he, you know, we're in good terms. He's the first to admit that. But even still, I got good feedback from him on different projects I worked on. And I threw that right into, like I built a model, a financial model comparing the ec unit economics of Pandora versus Spotify. Like, I still remember how Spotify artists get paid is in that formulaic payout of listens divided by total and like why Post Malone makes all the money versus like random artists. But, and he wrote me, a, a, I think it was an email. He's like, this model is perfect. And maybe that was one of the few times he ever said that, but for him to say that meant that I did something really solid. And so I put that in to my chest or I didn't have a chest then, but I would have had I had one. And what I would also say is, I know it's scary and fear inducing, but it's worth being proactive and going to your boss and your superiors at work and saying, you know, asking for a review and surely they'll give you positive feedback. And if they don't, you say to them, look, a broken clock is right twice a day. I'm doing something right. And I want to hear it from you and you document it. Yeah, oh, that's good. But that's... I know it's, I know it's scary. Nobody wants to go to their boss when they already think they're an imposter and solicit feedback because you think you're just going to get buried even further <laughs> down. But the reality is, and this is one of my favorite quotes. Um, it was actually a 
football coach who said this to me is the worst feeling in the world is when you drop a pass in football, not because you dropped it in the game, but because you're going to have to watch that on film on Sunday with your entire mm -hmm. team watching too. <laughs> and your coach is going to turn to you and be like, it's like, what feedback are you going to get? Like when you miss a block, it's like, Oh, you got to look left. But when you just drop a pass, he's just going to be like, uh, catch that next time. Like that sucked. Right. And so he, I would like, I dropped a pass one time and I, I was like, I hung my head and he said, Brendan, don't ever forget this. You're never, even if you catch a touchdown, it never looks as good as you think it will look. So you're never as good as you actually think you are. But when you mess up, it's never as bad as you think it is either. Yeah. And so that's, that's important. Thing too, is like, we might think that we have all these flaws and we make mistakes. No one's perfect. But yeah, if you go and you get that feedback from whoever it is you really crave it from, it's probably not going to be as bad as you think it is. And you can hang on to those good parts and put those in your chest and implement, like integrate those and really get them in your body and feel them. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, that's, that's good advice for people. I think, I think that's really relevant. I think people really struggle with this. I know I've struggled with this. You've struggled with it. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't even want to admit they have it, but it's something that, you know, is, is top of mind to them every day. So the more strategies they have to overcome it, I think the better they'll be to kind of, kind of get over this. Right. For sure. And like I said, I think just talking about these things, like with say friends or if you have a coach or a therapist is, is also useful and just being open about it. These things fester when you keep them in the shadows. Yeah. And they get worse the more you suppress it. Exactly. Like I, I found that with anything that I've wanted to eradicate from my life or overcome, it's so, you know, this is actually, I got to give Anthony credit, my COO, everyone listening, take your hands and just put them out straight. Like, like Superman. This is so cheesy, but it's so true. He goes, all right, now look at your fingertips. That's as far as you'll get in life on your own. And if you haven't gotten the lesson during COVID, we are social creatures. We need each other for fulfillment and happiness and all that stuff. And we need each other for support. We're an interdependent species. This is the last thing I'll say, and then let's just kind of wrap up here. But we are an interdependent species. And there's a lot of bad advice about dating and life that says like, be stronger, be more independent, learn how to deal with yourself, stop being too needy. And I totally disagree with that. We are meant to depend on each other in healthy interdependent ways, not codependence, not to caretake for each other, but to care for each other and to be there for each other. I know that when I'm having a bad day, yes, I can do self-care, connecting with a friend, going on a drive, going for a surf, calling a friend to talk about it can be the best thing to do. Oh, that's, that's awesome, man. All right, guys, Adam Pollock. Episode two <laughs> and episode 92. I don't know what this is. It's only in the 90s. Yeah, we got to do it again sometime. You're the Baba Booey to my Howard Stern. That's right. No, I'm Artie Lang. I told you that. I wanted you to be Robin, and you're like, I want to nah, be Artie. No, nah, I'm Artie. All right. All right. Thanks for coming in, Artie. <laughs> Appreciate it, Brendan. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. 
This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.